Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Norton, and I'm one of the pastors here. In case you're visiting or you're new this morning, um, for the last several weeks, we have been in this series where we've been talking about those situations in our lives uh, where we just feel stuck, and uh, we want to get unstuck, but we're not necessarily uh, sure how to make that happen. Sometimes it's because we just don't know what to do, and we need some advice or we need some wisdom. Um, sometimes it's because of we're, we're just scared of what's in front of us, and uh, we just need some courage to step out in faith. Um, sometimes we're stuck in a place where we just sort of need a kick in the pants, and we talked about that last week, what it means to sort of jumpstart sort of changing um, in your life and getting unstuck. Um, but sometimes the reason we're stuck, and we're going to camp out in this theme today, sometimes the reason we're stuck is because of our own stubbornness. Oh, wow. There were some mm-hmms on that one. Um, so for those of you that didn't mm-hmm, this is what stubbornness is. Uh, stubbornness is when you don't like to admit you're wrong. Stubbornness is when there's an area of your life that you're not willing to change even though you know you probably should. Stubbornness is an attitude that nobody knows what's best for me better than I do. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do or what to change, and the more that somebody else tells me what I should do or what I should change, the more I'm going to resist that. Now, some of us are more stubborn than others. Do not elbow anyone right now. <laughs> um, but there's a sense that all of us have a streak of stubbornness in our hearts and in our lives, and uh, sometimes it's our own stubbornness that gets us stuck in a situation or in a circumstance, a situation where we're not going to be able to get out of it without doing some damage to ourselves or maybe to others around us. And today we're going to read the story of a guy who was really, really stubborn and he was really, really stuck. And he was really faced with a situation and a decision that all of us have probably faced at some time and maybe that you're even facing right now. Today we're going to read the story of the last king of the nation of Judah. Now let me give you a quick recap. I want to put a map up here. We've been using this the last couple of weeks. Um, in 931 BC, so a long time of, ago, uh, Israel split into two nations. Um, the nation in the north was the ten tribes and they kept the name of Israel and the two southern tribes split off and they took the name of Judah. So there was Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and they each had their own kings, they had their own governments, they had their own armies, and they had their own parallel histories beside one another. And in time, both nations abandoned their worship of God, and they abandoned their commitment to following God's laws for them, basically because they didn't like to be told what to do, right? They wanted to say, look, if we want to worship other gods, we can. We can do anything we want. If we don't like all the laws you've given us, God, I mean, some of the laws seem pretty good, and we'll follow the ones that we like, and, and then some of the other laws we don't really like, and we won't follow those. If we want to do that, we can. And so in time, both nations abandoned their worship of God. They began to worship other gods. They began to abandon many of the customs and traditions that had been passed down to them, and they stopped following many of God's Laws, which led to all sorts of systemic problems. There was oppression. There was social and economic inequality. There was injustice. 
And there was overall instability in both of the nations of Israel and Judah. And now, from time to time, there were good kings that would try to lead them back to following some of the ways and laws that God had given them. But for the most part, both nations strayed further and further away from God. And so in 722 BC, the kingdom of Assyria to the northeast um, invaded Israel in the north. Israel had become more unstable, and they invaded Israel, and they basically destroyed the entire nation. And there were prophets at that time that rose up and said, these are the consequences. This is what happens when you reject God. This is what happens when you don't follow his ways. You'll implode from the inside and then eventually forces from the outside will destroy you. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah lived on, but this destruction in the north in Israel served as a warning to them. If you don't get your act together, the same thing is going to happen to you. And they did turn things around for a little while. We read a story last week under King Josiah where things got better, but after he died, things got worse again. Now, outside of Judah, during the 600s, again, B.C., the Assyrian Empire actually crumbled and the Babylonians rose into power, and they were even more dominant than the Assyrians. And within just a few years, this is what the map looked like. Babylonians had conquered every other nation and people group surrounding Judah. And so in 605 BC, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem, which was still the capital of Judah at the time, and they said, hey, if you guys don't give in to us, if you don't give your tribute to us, which basically means if you don't give us a whole bunch of gold and a whole bunch of money, and if you don't bow down to our kings and worship our gods, then we're going to conquer you. (laughs) And so you can join us willingly, or you can go down fighting, and if you go down fighting, it's not going to be good. You'll go the way of all the other nations that have tried to fight against us. And it was actually at that time, in 605, that the Babylonians rounded up some of the most promising young leaders in the nation of Judah at that time, and they took them prisoner back to Babylon, including a guy named Daniel. Now, there were a couple of prophets who stayed in Judah at the time. Their names were Ezekiel and Jeremiah. You might recognize them. And they were basically saying, hey, the same thing that happened to Israel, you remember? Our brethren in the north, it's happening to us right now. God is actually trying to get our attention. He's using the Babylonians. He's using their armies that are surrounding our nations right now to try to turn us back to him, to follow his laws. And unless we do that, we're going to be destroyed. But the people didn't listen, and their leaders didn't listen. So a few years later, in 597 B.C., the Babylonians came back. And this time, they took even more people prisoner back to Babylon. They rounded up a bunch of the priests, the people who led the worship in the temple, including Ezekiel, who was part of the priestly class. And they even took the king of Judah as prisoner back to Babylon. And they decided to put a different king on the throne. They put someone on the throne that they thought they could control, and his name was Zedekiah. And they basically said to Zedekiah this, this is your last chance. You better do exactly as we say. You better serve us. And if you don't, it's going to be over for you and for your people and for your nation. 
So what does Zedekiah do? Do you think he's going to change his ways? Do you think he'll listen to the prophets who are telling him you need to change your ways? Do you think he'll listen to the Babylonians who are telling him you need to change your ways? Because they're all saying the same thing. If you don't change, the consequences are going to be really, really bad. And so today we're going to read Zedekiah's story. And and let me just warn you, um, I think there's a lesson in this story for every single one of us in the room. And as we go through the story, maybe you might say, well, this is really interesting, but I don't think there's a lesson in here for me. Then that means there's probably a really big lesson in there (laughs) for you. Now, this story is told in three different books in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, and the book of Jeremiah. And so we're going to actually skip around a little bit. I'm going to piece together the whole story from all three books. Um, so just follow along as we do that. We're going to start in 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, which, by the way, 2 Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Um, we don't know that. The Hebrew Bible is the same as the Old Testament for us. Um, So if you were to go to a Jewish synagogue today, the Bible they read is the same content as our Old Testament, but they arrange the books a little differently. And so for more than 2,000 years, 2 Chronicles has been the last book of their Bible. And chapter 36 is the last chapter of 2 Chronicles. So this is the final story that closes out the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God, and he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. So we're told that Zedekiah does evil in God's eyes, and when the writer of Chronicles says that, that sounds a bit harsh, um, but here's what he means. Zedekiah still believed in God. Uh, He still said all the right things. He said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday morning, right? He came to church every Sunday. He said all the right things, but the way he was living didn't live up to anything he said. He was going out and living in a way that was completely opposite of that. That's what it meant for the writer of Chronicles to say he did evil in the eyes of God. It also says he doesn't humble himself. In other words, he was too proud. He was too strong-willed. He was too stubborn because his buddy, Jeremiah the prophet, and we'll read about some of their interchanges in a second, would come to him and would say, dude, you're in bad shape. You need to make some changes. You're leading this nation in the wrong direction. You have to change something or else you're going to destroy your life and you're going to destroy this nation. And Zedekiah would basically say back to Jeremiah, thanks for the advice, but no thanks. I think I know what I'm doing. I know what's best for me. And I think we often do the same thing in our own lives. When anyone comes to us and tells us that we need to change something, or that we're making bad decisions, or that we're heading down the wrong road. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your parents, right? Nobody likes to admit their parents might just be right. But that's what we do. And that's Zedekiah in this instance. He's trying to listen, but he's not really listening because he thinks he knows what's best for himself. And then look at what it says next. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart 
and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. So it says now he's even rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. He won't follow God's ways. He won't listen to his buddy Jeremiah. And now he won't even do what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Nebuchadnezzar is the guy who put him on the throne, who said, I'm putting you in power to serve me and do what I say. And now he's invaded Judah twice, Nebuchadnezzar has, and he's threatening to do it again. And Zedekiah won't even do what he says. He's rebelling against him. And again, we're going to see that God is using this king of Babylon to try to get Zedekiah's attention. And God often does that, right? It's almost as if he's looking at Zedekiah and he's saying, what's it going to take, Zedekiah, for you to humble yourself? What's it going to take for you to to bow your knee, to, to finally get down on the ground and say, you don't have all the answers and you don't know what's best? What's it going to take for you to listen to anyone else. But Zedekiah couldn't do that. And it says he was too stiff-necked. I love this word, stiff-necked. Do you know where it actually comes from? Um, When a a farmer in ancient Israel would plow his fields, uh, he would use oxen. And there were two oxen he would put there, and he would put a yoke on top of the oxen. You know what a yoke is? It's this big wooden contraption that you would put on top of the oxen, and then you would attach a plow to it. And the yoke was put on there so that the oxen would go straight. It was there to guide the oxen in the right direction. But some oxen didn't like to have a yoke being put on. And so they would stiffen their necks so that the farmer couldn't get the yoke on them. Almost to say, I don't want to go in that direction. I don't want anyone else to guide me. I don't want anyone else telling me what to do. And that's what Zedekiah is. He's stiff-necked and stubborn. And the Old Testament tells us that he was that way for the next nine years. And here's what happened as a result. And this is from 2 Kings chapter 25. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and he built siege works all around it. And the city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. So I mentioned this last week, um, but these events are not just recorded in the Hebrew scriptures or the Hebrew records. Um, If you're new to the Bible or or you have questions about, is this stuff actually true? Uh, These events are actually recorded in Babylonian records. We have inscriptions and records from Babylon that describe Judah's relationship with Babylon, how King Nebuchadnezzar came into Judah several times, how King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who actually put Zedekiah on the throne. And then when King Nebuchadnezzar's patience wore out, he decided to invade Judah. And he went from town to town destroying it until the last town that was standing was the capital of Jerusalem, and then he laid siege to it. So what we read in the Bible tells us that when this happens, King Nebuchadnezzar brings his whole army down, and he basically camps outside of the walls, and and they put up siege works, and they send messengers in to say, why don't you give up? And, and Zedekiah keeps sending messengers back out saying, no, we're never giving up. And for the Babylonians, that's fine. Because we can sit out here all day long. We have all the supplies. We have all the food, all the water we could ever want. We'll wait you out as long as you want. 
And so for two years, the forces and the armies of Babylon laid siege to the city of Jerusalem while the people stood behind their walls as the food slowly ran out and they hoped they could somehow defend themselves against the consequences that were surrounding them. Now, I think this is a picture, oftentimes, of what you and I can be like. When we're stiff-arming God, when we're stiff-necked because we don't want to listen to what anyone else has to say, and so we build up our fortresses, we hide behind our walls, we think we can escape the consequences of all of our decisions. We think we can hold out. We think we're undefeatable, that we can win. And that's what Zedekiah thought. And so he just kept holding out. Now, it's at this moment, there's actually a glimmer of hope in this story. Because somewhere in those two years, probably the, the end part of it, he decides to ask Jeremiah for advice. And you'll see why in just a second. He sends messengers to Jeremiah with these words. Inquire now of the Lord for us, because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us as in times past, so that he, that's the king of Nebuchadnezzar, will withdraw from us. So we actually know that Zedekiah doesn't like Jeremiah very much, because Jeremiah is a prophet and a troublemaker, and he usually doesn't tell Zedekiah what he wants to hear, right? But Jeremiah is one of God's prophets, and things are starting to get so bad with the siege that he basically says, you know what, Jeremiah, can you maybe just pray to God for all of us, and maybe God will rescue us like he has in the past. Don't we do this in our own lives? Sometimes sometimes things get bad, and we can see the consequences coming from some of the bad decisions we've made, and we sort of just call out to God, hey God, it would be really nice if you could rescue me from this. God, would you be willing to maybe just bail me out this one time? Look at how Jeremiah responds. Jeremiah answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I am about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. I will strike down those who live in this city, both man and beast, and they will die of a terrible plague. It's like, is that what Jeremiah really said? Yeah, that's what he said. And it sounds way worse in Hebrew. <laughs> like, it's like slaughtering and smiting and all sorts of things. Jeremiah goes on, verse 7. After that, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the people in this city who survived the plague, sword, and famine, if there's anyone still left after all that, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to their enemies who want to kill them. And he will put them to the sword. He will show them no mercy or pity or compassion. 
Wouldn't that be a great verse to memorize? Maybe even throw it on Instagram, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Hashtag no mercy. <laughs> Hashtag put them to the sword. Um, but the warning is really important because Jeremiah is trying to interpret what's going on behind the scenes. And he's trying to say to Zedekiah, you can't escape the consequences anymore. This has actually been coming for hundreds of years, Jeremiah will say. The stubbornness of all of Judah's people has been building up for hundreds of years, and it's destroying us as a people. And now your own stubbornness and your own rebellion, Zedekiah, is about to destroy us for good. It's not really the answer that Zedekiah was looking for when he asked Jeremiah for advice. And so what does he do? Well, he threw Jeremiah into jail. Let's not listen to that guy anymore, right? And uh, don't we do that, right? When there's friends that keep telling us, hey, you probably should think differently about this. You probably should change. You just stop hanging out with those people because you don't want to hear from them anymore. So Zedekiah throws Jeremiah in jail, but then things get even worse. And Zedekiah starts thinking about it. And what if Jeremiah is right? What if this is somehow all from God? And what if this is God's judgment? Or maybe what if God is just letting this happen? God could protect us, but he's choosing not to. And so he gets his buddy Jeremiah out of jail, and he asks for his opinion one more time. And look at how Jeremiah responds. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians and they will burn it down. And you yourself will not escape from them. But Zedekiah doesn't want to surrender. I mean, he's dug his heels in this long, right? And when you dig your heels in for long enough, you get to this point where you just don't want to give up. You're stiff-necked. You don't want to give up. And so he gives Jeremiah an excuse. Look at what he says. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians, for the Babylonians may hand me over to them, and they will mistreat me. See, some Jews had already surrendered. They had seen the writing on the walls, and they had walked outside of the city gates, and they said, we can't win this. We need to surrender. And so the Babylonians had captured them. And of course, they were furious with Zedekiah because he wouldn't surrender. And so he's saying, well, if I surrender, what if they give me into their hands, and they're going to hate me because everything I've done? But it's just an excuse. He's being stubborn. He does not want to surrender. And so Jeremiah assures him, this whole thing about what if they give you in it, that's not even an issue. Look at what he says next. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you, and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, all your wives and children will be brought out to the Babylonians. You yourself will not escape from their hands, but will be captured 
by the king of Babylon, and this city will be burned down. So here it is. God is giving Zedekiah one more chance. And and that passage before about God sort of letting the Babylonians come in and no mercy and no compassion and no pity, like if that scared you a little bit, which it should, if we have any doubts that God has any mercy or any grace or any compassion, we see it right here. It's the 11th hour. It's the 59th minute. After two years of holding out and not giving in, after 11 years of rebelling against God and not worshiping him and not following his ways, after hundreds of years of this same attitude of stubbornness permeating Judah's leadership and Judah's society, And God still here after so many warnings at the last minute is still willing to say, I'm going to give you another chance, Zedekiah. You can stay in the city if you want. Let me warn you, it's not going to be good. You will feel the full consequences, fully and finally, of everything that has been building. Or you can surrender. And it's not too late. It's not too late. It's still going to get ugly. You're going to have to surrender to the Babylonians. They're going to take over your nation. But the city will be spared. It won't be burned down. And you and your family's life will be spared. But you have to surrender. You have to give up. And the reality for Zedekiah in this moment, is it either way, either way you're going to have to face the consequences. You can choose to face the consequences or you can be made to face the consequences. And either way you're going to have to surrender. You can choose to surrender or you can be made to surrender. But if you hold out and if you don't choose, it's going to be way, way worse. So why not choose in this moment to surrender? I think we're in this situation oftentimes in our own lives. Maybe we're not faced with armies. Maybe we're not the kings of nations. We're in those moments where it's like God is giving us a chance. You can give up here. You can surrender. I know you haven't listened to me in a long time. I know you've abandoned me. I know you think you know what's best, but... Trust me on this one. It would be so much better if you just threw your hands up and you gave up. So what does Zedekiah do? He refuses to surrender. And this is how his story ends. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. And then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled to the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. 
So the famine gets so bad that the people are dying and the Babylonians finally sweep in and in the middle of the night, the Israelite or the Judah's armies and Zedekiah the king were able to make it out of the city and, and make it through the forces and they go out into the plains of Jericho. And so some of the Babylonian armies go after them and they're able to catch up with them and capture them. The rest stay and they burn the city to the ground and they slaughter everybody in it. And there's all kinds of accounts in the Old Testament. The whole book of Lamentations laments over this horrible tragedy that takes place. Zedekiah is captured, and then it says, He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out his eyes. They bound him with bronze shackles and they took him to Babylon. So the last thing that Zedekiah sees on earth are his own children slaughtered right in front of him because he refused to give up. So have a great week. Um, (laughs) Hashtag make good decisions right? Um, It's a sobering story. And I think there's a powerful lesson for all of us, and here's what it is. Uh, Stubbornness isolates you, but it does not insulate you. It always isolates you, but it never insulates you. You see, when we're stubborn, when you think you know what's best, when you don't listen to anyone else, when no one else could possibly be right, that always isolates you. You're not willing to listen to anyone or anything, and all the people that do care about you, that do love you, that are trying to help you, you're just pushing them away and building up walls. And it doesn't just isolate you from other people, it isolates you from God. Because if you think you know what's best, then what do you need God for? What use does He have in your life? Stubbornness doesn't insulate you. It doesn't insulate you from the consequences of your decisions. It doesn't insulate you from the baggage that you're going to carry, the wounds and the scars and the regrets you're going to have your whole life because you just kept holding on stubbornly and you wouldn't give up. And we think it does, right? We think if we're just strong-willed enough, if we're just smart enough, we'll show everybody else that we can handle this, that this isn't really a problem for me, that they don't know what they're talking about. But it doesn't insulate us from the consequences. It just helps us build up walls and then hide behind them and hope that we can hold off the consequences that are never going to go away. And the whole time God is looking at you and me and he's saying, would you just surrender? Would you just give up? You've been holding on to this for so long. Why don't you just trust me? It's going to be bad. Like you're going to have to face these consequences. But the longer you hold out, the worse it's going to get. And so here's the question that I just want to ask you today. As we wrap up, what are you being stubborn about right now?
What are you being stubborn with? Has there anything come to your mind as we've been reading this story? Is there something that you're doing? Maybe, maybe nobody else even knows about it. Maybe it's just in your own heart. You've been running away from God, or you've been running away from the consequences, or just hoping and assuming that you're smart enough and strong enough to not have to pay them. Deep down, thinking you probably will have to pay them at some point. Is there something between you and someone else? Is there maybe something between you and God? And you're just being stubborn. You just don't want to give in. You just keep, you don't even know what you're holding on to anymore. You're just holding on to it. What if today you decided to surrender? Which you can do, literally, right now in this moment. What if you just decide, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore? And I'm going to really believe what I sometimes sing and what we sometimes say, that God really does love me. And he really does know what's best for me. And that he really does have a much bigger perspective on my life than I could ever have. And so the wisest and smartest and maybe hardest thing for me to do right now is to give up and to quit holding on and to simply surrender to him. Would you take a moment with me and just close your eyes? I'd like to just lead us in a, in a moment of prayer. We're going to sing another song to wrap things up, but I'd like to ask you to do something and um, just go with me on this one. Would you, just, would you take your fists and just clench them in front of you? Just hold them out in front of you with clenched fists. And then would you imagine, what is it that you're holding on to? What's the thing for you that you're not wanting to let go of? You think you know what's better than everyone else will tell you. You think you know what's better than God is telling you. What's that thing? Is it an attitude? Is it a person? Is it a dream? Is it a goal? What is it that you're holding on to? that you're being stubborn with, that you're desperately clinging to, as if your identity is wrapped up in that thing. And now, would you just open your hands up and see how easy that is? What if you were to let go of it? Whatever it is, it might be something really small today that you're holding on to, but what if you were to just hand it over to Jesus And say, I'm going to trust you with this. You gave your life for me. I'm going to trust you with it. You love me. You're waiting for me to come back. You're looking for me every day to come back to you, to to surrender to you, because you want to shower me with your love and your mercy and your grace. Would you be willing to take that thing and trust him with it this morning?